Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I get to cover one of my absolute favorite shows right now because I have Amy Lou Wood from Sex Education with us this time around. Hello and congratulations times three now. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Cannot explain how much I adore this show. So the first thing we do on Ladies Night is we play with this dice tower back here. Fun, harmless okay. questions. So cool. I'm going to give you three rolls on the dice tower, and I've got eight questions here. We will see what you land on. Okay, great. All right. We are starting off with a one. A one is called baking. Do you bake? And if so, what is your specialty? Do you know what? I cook, and I love cooking, but I do not bake. It's too technical for me. It's too scientific. I like the kind of spontaneity of adding in a, you know, I don't really like following recipes. So I do love to cook, but no, I'm not a baker, unfortunately. I wish I was, but I'm not. Hey, you're talking to someone who's very proud of herself for finally being able to use an air fryer. So there's no judgment coming from me. Oh my God, I really want an air fryer. When I say I use an air fryer, I mean, I'm putting instant waffles in my air fryer. Like I'm not doing anything special with it. Well, it sounds dreamy to be honest. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Roll number two. We got here a four. A four is advice. Let's say you started a clinic to give advice out, Oda style. What yeah. specific topic would you be advising your peers on? Ooh, that's such a good question. I think that, oh God, you know what? As I get older, the, the, the less I know, like, I feel like when you're young, you think you just have the answers to everything. And like, I would always believe that my, you know, I, I needed to give advice to all of my friends. I had the answers. I had the key to unlock everything. And a lot of the time I was giving advice that I wasn't actually taking myself. And I think actually recently I've kind of like really wanted to say to my friends, you have the answers, like, you have them. I believe that you have them. I read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. 
and it changed my life. It's like become just, I just love it. And it's become like my Bible. And she says a lot of the time, you know, advice is actually, you're actually kind of, are you talking to that person? Are you talking to a past version of yourself and giving that? So sometimes it's hard to know if the advice is helpful. And sometimes the advice can take someone away from themselves rather than helping. So I'm trying to be a bit more now, like trying to guide my friends, but not actually, and ask them helpful questions, but not actually really tell them what to do, which I think Otis is really good at that. Like he'll give a kind of word of wisdom, but he will most of the time be asking the questions. And I think asking people and, and yeah, is more helpful, letting them figure out their own answers. Not the answer I was expecting. I like it. And I feel like I need to read that book now. Yes, it's great. You should read it. It's so good. All right. You got one more roll here. Going with a seven. Yay. I'm happy we hit this one. It's four-legged friends. Do you have any pets? I don't have any pets. I don't have any pets. I really want a dog, but I also know that that is a huge responsibility. Like I'm seeing my friends who have got dogs and they're like, it's, it's just like having a baby. So I'm not sure, but I, you know, what is amazing about playing Amy is that she always seems to have an animal featured in the there's there's the lizard there's the goat there's like you know so I kind of get to spend time with some quite unusual animals on set of sex education um exactly why I put that question on this list for you yeah yeah and then I did a film called Louis Wayne that was just all about cats so I was surrounded by hundreds of cats so I've kind of always and then there were dogs in a play that I did I'm always quite my work I get to hang out with animals quite a lot you clearly pick the right projects for the right reasons. You should specifically Absolutely. sign up for everything just because there's an animal involved. I'm Is a big believer in this. Yeah, 100%, 100%. All right, let's get into the meat of it now. And I like to start by going way back to the very beginning. Step number one, what is the first film, personal experience, performance you saw that made you say, I have to be an actor? Oh, that is such a good question. I think that, I remember watching Educating Rita when I was younger and watching Julie Walters and thinking, oh, wow. And just kind of like, yeah, I, I remember also Olivia Coleman, but like really like early Olivia Coleman stuff, like when she was doing Peep Show and Green Wing and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, oh, God, she kind of I, like I saw myself in her and I hadn't really seen that before and I think it kind of made me go you oh maybe you could be an actor maybe you could be so kind of like and then she did Tyrannosaur and she did the most incredible she'd only been known as a comedy actor and then she did this incredible like heart-wrenching performance and I so I always found her really and everyone kind of says it now everyone's like Olivia Coleman Olivia Coleman but I'm always like no I was there when she was doing Green Wing so I you know I'm a day one fan but yeah, I think probably, but I mean, I just remember really just everything that I watched finding, I really loved like Pretty in Pink, like the John Hughes movies, which was why it was so lovely to, to do Sex Ed and it has that nostalgic kind of thing about it. So, but yeah, I would say maybe 
yeah, maybe Olivia Coleman's stuff, I think. I'm a big Olivia Coleman fan, so I like that answer. Yes. So another thing I love talking about is going to school because it seems like we're often having the conversation. Do you think it's worth studying your craft in school or just getting out there and having experience? You have a BA in acting. So what is something that you learned in school that you find yourself referring back to often today? But then on the other hand, what is something that all the schooling in the world could not have prepared you for when you hit your first set? Wow. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this recently because I kind of thought I didn't know much about drama school. I didn't know much about any of it. And I remember thinking it was kind of the only route that you kind of like you had to go to drama school and you had to. And now I'm realizing it's not actually right for everyone. It is for some people, but it's not. I mean, it's quite split on sex ed set. Like some of us did go to drama school. Some of us didn't. So there are other ways. I'm really glad that I went, to be honest. I think less even about my acting but more just as a person I'm glad that I was in a space for three years that was safe for me to kind of mess up and make mistakes and learn rather than going straight out there but then again I also then was so blessed with sex education because it was kind of like a second drama school but um I would say that just I remember at school the teachers being like some of the stuff that we're telling you now will not actually you'll not really get it until about five years in to your actual career and then you'll go that's what they were talking about that was what it was so I think that you do kind of really really learn on the job like you really do I remember learning the first play that I did out of drama school and just I just learned so much like in that such short space of time just the three months just by doing it because there's only so much as you say that someone can impart onto you and then you've got to really just do it and you've got to make the mistakes and you've got to kind of yeah figure it out for yourself just do, and also I think the, the main thing that I would say from drama school the the the, the problem that I have with it is it can make certain people feel like as as well as lots of schooling systems it can make certain people feel wrong and certain people feel right and actually the best thing about acting is you're always going to be right if you're being truthful to the character and to yourself and if you're I just think the best actors always reveal a part of themselves through the characters that they're playing and it costs them something to play those parts and it should be kind of a vulnerable feeling and it should yeah, and that's how you move people is when it's kind of like, you know, you're revealing a part of you to the audience through that character and through that story. And I think you only learn that once you're out of school because at school it gets too much in your head. That was a good performance or that was a bad performance. And you kind of like lose your own centre, kind of like the advice thing we were talking about. And actually sometimes you don't, you need less feedback and you need to figure out the stories you want to tell. Yeah. So let's get into sex education now. And I have so many questions about your audition process because I was reading up about how you originally auditioned for Lily. And, you know, first it was making me wonder when you audition for an ensemble show like this, do you get the opportunity to see all the roles that are available and say to yourself, like, this is the one that speaks to me? Or is it a situation where the casting director says, here is your audition for this particular role? Yeah, so more like the latter. So I got through from my agent, I got through this audition that was for Lily. 
And I did, that was the, all I saw were Lily's side. So I didn't see the rest of the script. I only saw Lily's stuff and I thought she was hilarious. And I loved like the show seemed amazing. And then my friend who actually, because of her job at the time, she'd read the script and she said to me, why aren't you going in for Amy? I feel like there's a character in it called Amy and she is your part. And I was like, well, I've got, I've got, a, you know, I've got an audition for Lily. And, you know, I, I went in three times for Lily and I just, I hadn't really. And then it was after the third audition that they were like, well, sorry, it's not going to go your way with Lily. And I was like, okay, it's fine. That's really sad. Cause I really love this show. And it was kind of the first thing for so long that I'd been dead excited about. And then they sent me through, but can you come in tomorrow with this new character, Amy? And I remembered my friends saying it and then I got the sides through and I was just laughing so much because some of the things on that script were verbatim things that I have said in my life. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. But yeah, I didn't really have a say in that at all. And I didn't know about the other characters really. I am, because you get such a limited amount of information and then you get all the scripts through and when, I remember going to the read through and seeing everyone and going, oh my God, yeah, everyone is perfectly cast. I remember seeing Tanya actually in an audition and going, oh no, that's Lily. I remember thinking, no, I've lost the, that's Lily. That's who they're going to cast as Lily. Cause there was something always a bit not quite right with me and Lily. And then, yeah, it was, but it was, it was absolutely kind of, you know, meant to be. It was just, the, that is so the right casting. I truly cannot vision any of these characters a different way than exactly how they panned out. Yeah. Oh my God. A hundred percent. But what is it like for you being in an audition process and having to pivot? Because I imagine like a whole lot of high pressure auditioning for this one role. Was there any kind of adjustment period when you needed a refocus to go in for Amy at that point? Or was it just like, no, this feels right. I am good. Yeah, it was weird, you know, because I because I've been in so much. With, I'd done chemistry reads with Eric's, you know, for the scene where Lily like tries it on with Eric. I'd like met these different Eric people, boys that were going up for Eric, and like it was so I was quite far into the process with Lily, and then overnight, like I I didn't really have time to think about it because it was like tomorrow come in with this part, and um, so there was a bit of it. But I remember Ben, our director, he like took me at like he just kind of took me aside and I remember walking in and all of a sudden there were all these like producers there and there hadn't there'd only been like three people up until that point and then all of a sudden there was like a lot of people there and I thought okay this is weird and then Ben basically said that kind of energy that you had with Lily just funnel it into Amy because we think that what you were doing as Lily is actually right for Amy and so it was kind of weird because it was this new character but it was the same kind of energy that they wanted. It was just, yeah, funneled into a different character and it made so much more sense and it just aligned way more perfectly when it was Amy. I'm glad that they were willing to see that in that kind of phase and they were willing to pivot as the leaders of all this because it serves the show so incredibly exactly, well. Exactly, yeah, totally. All right, let's get into season one now. So. Looking back on season one and your experience shooting all your scenes and that, is there any particular beat for Amy that I guess pointed you forward in the right direction or, or really contributed to helping put it, put the character into focus for you? These are such good questions. I love these questions. I think that, so Amy was actually not really that, she wasn't as, um, 
full as the other characters at the beginning because she was actually quite a late addition. She wasn't in the like original scripts and stuff. She was kind of added in, I think the latest. And so they were still, the writers were still trying to figure her out. The director was still trying to figure her out. I was trying to figure her out. And it, so, but that gave me a lot of freedom because it meant that I could go with my instincts on things and like kind of make the character who I saw her as, because she wasn't actually, she wasn't that, she wasn't fully formed yet. And so, yeah, I think that, that, that my auntie was eaten by wasps was the line where I, I heard that line and I was like, I know who Amy is. And it was when Maeve says, what, was she stung to death? And she goes, no, she was eaten. And she says it was such conviction. It was the choice. I either, I thought I have to believe, my, the key to Amy was believe everything you say, no matter how ridiculous it is, she believes everything she's saying. And once I'd clicked onto that, it was like, I know who Amy is. I just have to believe, with, like not comment on it, not kind of, you just believe, say these ridiculous things with utter conviction. And that is who Amy is. And then from there on, everything just started kind of reflecting that and like, you'd get rewrites and drafts and all that stuff. And she was becoming more and more of the kind of like, cause at first she kind of felt like just one of the popular group. And it was this like kind of space cadet kind of very individual way of looking at the world that then got really like fleshed out. And that really, I'm so, I was so happy because it, she just, I just love her so much as a character. And it was so exciting getting to kind of be such a huge part of that. I was like busy giggling while you were telling the wasp story because I'm terrified of bees. So that that line, the second it was uttered was permanently drilled in my head. But because you say it with such conviction, it's like wasps don't eat people. But I'm so scared that like, yes, now they do. Now they do. In Amy's world, they absolutely eat people. <laughs> All right, let's have the worst transition in the world and talk about the intimacy coordinator because in my interviews, I often like to ask, you know, what is, what is something about what it takes to make a film or a show that you were afraid to ask when you were first starting out? And so many people told me that, like, I wish someone told me what the reality of filming a sex scene was like. And I feel like we don't hear enough about how productions have intimacy coordinators involved. So what is something that you've picked up from Ida and David over the seasons that, you know, you wish someone out there who didn't have that kind of role on their set? What is something that they've told you that you wish that they could know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the one that really like just stuck with me so much was when I was like, I remember like going to do the first sex scene and there was something that I was a bit like, oh, maybe I'm okay with that. And I remember being like to Ita, no, I, I, I'll, no, that's fine. I can. And she was like, Amy, let me just tell you something. Um, no is no. And maybe is no. So if you're going, maybe I'm comfortable, it's a no. Because what's going to happen is you're going to compromise and you're going to agree to something and then you're going to get the, you're going to feel so terrible after. You're going to have the worst vulnerability hangover because you've said, yes, you've said, you've gone along with something that you weren't 100% comfortable with. And it wasn't anything, it, it was, no one was putting pressure on me. It was just me trying to please and be like, well, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can do that. And he was like, just remember in all sex scenes and all intimate stuff, no is no and maybe is no. Only a yes, only an absolute yes is a yes. 
And I think that um, that and that they were so amazing on the sex ed set with that stuff because no one like Ben, our director, the last thing he wanted is for us to feel uncomfortable because also you can see it. Like when you when I watch sex scenes now that clearly didn't have like an intimacy coordinator or a supportive director or something, you can see that the people are uncomfortable. Like you can actually read it in like their bodies and their faces and everything. And actually, so I think that really just holding on to that and being on a set and thinking, mm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberating about this and I'm umming and ahhing. So maybe that is an indication that actually it's a no and we'll figure out a different way to do it. You can always figure out a different way to do it in pressure and all that stuff is never okay. It's never acceptable, you know? So yeah, that would be the main thing. You are very articulate with all this. It's making me think back to our earlier conversation. Like you should, you should probably be the one to teach a class out there. Oh, thank you. I mean it. All right, I could talk about what you accomplish in season two all day long because it's some exceptional work. And obviously you were recognized for your work in that season. So I'm always curious about what it's like to win a major award and then what happens after. So twofold question for you here. Let's tackle the personal side of it first. You win that award and do you just walk away from something like that being like, you know, like, cool, I won something. I'm glad it was recognized. Or does it go as far to actually boost your confidence in, in your craft and your ability? You know what? I really, something that I'm really like trying to get better at is not being, basically, I, a lot of the time, something good will happen. And I'll immediately think of reasons why it was, why everything's going to go wrong. It's just anxiety. So like even after winning a BAFTA, and I was so shocked, I could not believe it. I literally did not have a clue. I'm walking there. I had nothing to say. I was like, because I hadn't thought, I mean, I was there. I was thinking it's so nice actually, I can be here. And I know for a fact, I'm not going to win. So I can just enjoy it. And then it happened. And for about... No, about five minutes, it really felt like this warm, fuzzy, lovely feeling. And I was like on top of the world, I was elated. And then immediately, immediately it went into, oh God, that interview you just did, you weren't very, you know, you didn't speak very well about X, Y, Z. Oh God, this thing. Oh God, what if people rewatch it and go, actually, she's not that good in it. What if, what if season three now, I don't do as good a job. So all of this stuff and it kicked in so quickly. And so I had to really, really, really like, like really work at staying present and actually just letting it kind of be a lovely thing because it was a lovely thing, but also not take it too to heart because if you take the good stuff too to heart, then you're gonna take criticism too much to heart too. So it's kind of like, isn't that bloody lovely that those people in that room at that time believed that I deserved that recognition and it is recognition and it's so, and I'm so, you know, and it's lovely and I'm very grateful but I did have to stay because of just the way my brain works. I had to stay very neutral. I had to neutralize it because my head just goes, I'm, I'm just such a catastrophizer. It's unbelievable. My brain operates the same way. I'm understanding what you're saying a little too much. 
Yeah. yeah. I'll, have a, I'll have a good interview and I'll be all happy. And then I'll walk away and I'll be like, well, what if I never book another interview again? Oh my God. It's, it's like, it is such a horrible thing because it's like the happiness is what triggers the worry. So it's like, you kind of think, well, I don't really, there's a part of you that's going, I don't really want good things to happen because if good things happen, then all the worry's going to come with it. And it's such a sad way to be. So I'm trying now to just be like, enjoy, enjoy. And every time you kind of start to turn the camera inward, just try and turn it. I remember listening to Helen McCrory's Desert Island Disc, bless her. And, I, and she, you know, she really talks about that. Like really just as soon as you start going inward too much, obviously self-reflection is good, but like, too much introspection, too much of that. It try, you know, you end up just being drained and scared all the time. So now every time I try and something goes inward, I start being like, put you put your attention outwards. There's a tree. There's a breeze on my face. Everything's all right. Yep. Trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get into season three a little because you you brought up one other question that was crossing my mind. So you get all the success from season two. You win the award. What expectations did you have for Amy immediately after all that good stuff happens in terms of where her arc was going to take you? And then how did that compare to what you actually got when you got your first season three scripts? So, yeah, see, I mean, I was so I was so happy with the scripts when I got them for season three, because what I really wanted to make sure was that, you know, obviously it's beautiful, cathartic moment when Amy gets on the bus with the girls but I, I, I obviously I trust sex ed so much. It's such a gorgeous moment. But I also, she isn't, that's the start of like her recovery. That's the start of her healing. It's not the end. She doesn't get on a bus and go, oh, it's gone now. I feel great. So I was very much like eager to see how that storyline carries on throughout season three. And I think it really does. It's also very hopeful. And I think, I think it's just really, really delicately and beautifully done. And yeah, I think I, I just loved season three. And I, that's the thing that I kind of, I just finished watching it and I tried to like watch it as, not as like an actor in it and like, you know, picking it apart, but just watching my friends do amazing work and being so proud of them and like just seeing it as a whole and thinking, God, this is, and I loved it. And in the last two episodes, I was sobbing my heart out. I was so moved by it. I felt bereft when it was over. And I was kind of like, just remember this feeling. Remember that you loved it. And it doesn't really, and try not to be too, you know, worried about how it's going to be received because you hope that people are going to love it. And, you know, but it's kind of like the, the start, yeah, the kind of, forward thinking too much about reception and all that stuff it kind of just ruins your experience of it and actually it's better to just love it and just on it just I just love it and I hope that 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 other people will love it but you know I also know that I'm safe in the knowledge that I think it's brilliant so yeah so I'm jumping all over the place here. I'm going to ask you something that touches on spoilers, but do not worry. We will brand anything that touches on that kind of material with a big old spoiler warning. But yeah. the way you described the transition for the character from season two to season three is making me think of this probably too convoluted question. But one of my favorite things that Amy goes through in this particular season is, is the idea of growing out of being a people pleaser. And the fact that 
the show doesn't necessarily give her one clear cut answer to solving that issue from one specific person. She's got to learn from Jean. She's got to learn from Maeve. She's got to learn from Maureen. So what was it like for you navigating all of that throughout the season and applying that to Amy, especially if you're in a situation where maybe you're shooting some of that out of order? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. And I think that is so true to life as well. Like, and it's almost like once something's been pointed out to you, once something's been named, you then just see it everywhere and you start kind of, and I think that I was talking about before that actually Amy in her brain was kind of, you know, by the end of season two, she was starting to kind of think, you know what, it wasn't my fault. What happened to me wasn't my fault. It was his fault and the prop, you know, and the girls help her with that. And there's that, but she hadn't quite properly internalized it. She hadn't quite truly in her bones believed it and accepted that it was not her fault and I think that actually as you say it takes a lot of different things happening to put her in a place where she is open and vulnerable enough for when Jean says it was not your fault it actually permeates and it actually goes in for the first time it really goes in and I think that could only happen because of the argument with Maeve and I think then, you know, that conversation with Jean that then leads on to being with Maureen. And that's the only reason why that is that, that she does have to break up with Steve. You know, all of these things just, yeah, they just kind of feed into each other until she's kind of just, she's just kind of trying to do the next right thing, Amy. Like she is very good at being present and very good at, this is where the biggest difference between me and her is that I live in, you know, my head and overthinking everything. Whereas Amy is very good at being present, but I think it makes her, it takes her going into that pain in that argument with Maeve. It takes her going into that pain. The, the scariest thing in the world for Amy is that she's not pleased someone. And actually she's confronted with, no, Amy, you've pissed me off. And that has annoyed me, which is her biggest fear would be to hear Maeve say that. And then another huge fear would be to hear you need to break up with your boyfriend because you're people pleasing. And that's the only reason why you're with him. It's like all of these things that she's known, she's known in her brain, but it hasn't ever been named. And then someone says it and it's like everything just opens up and it's painful, but it is also so necessary because it means that then when she goes into that therapy session, she is more open and she's ready to truly, truly, truly hear that it wasn't her fault. And that I think that's the real moment for her. That's like the okay, okay moment, you know? It's such a beautiful transformation. And, and the fact that there are so many little, little like cracks and things that touch on our own reality, that there's no simple answer to any, you know, inner turmoil you might experience. I feel like that's a big reason why so much of what this show accomplishes with Amy and beyond, it's not just entertainment, it really sinks in and some of it I think can really make a difference. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So you've brought up Maeve. And yeah. one of my absolute favorite parts of all of sex education through all three seasons is watching that friendship grow and become second moms here. So I love talking about the value of having a good scene partner and what that could bring out of you that maybe you would not have been able to bring out of yourself. So what is it about working on those moments with Emma that makes you, you know, tap into something that you might not have been able to without her? Oh my God. I mean, it's just so... I mean, it's everything. When the um, 
the man who, the actor who played the policeman in season two, he said to us, Neil, he said to us, you guys have got something so rare. He was like, you can spend an entire career and not find a scene partner that you find it, that it's this easy with. The ease and the chemistry and the connection that you two have, like, do not underestimate it. It is so, it's so obvious to everyone and it's so amazing. And it doesn't come about often. And he's right. Like, it's, it is, I don't think I realised how, like, lucky, like, we all are as a cast that we all just, like, gel so well. But being with Emma, like, oh my God, it's, it's so important because I look at her, fa- when in that bloody argument scene, I look at her face and she's upset with me. I don't need to act because I'm literally just like, this is horrid. And, and you know, it's, if you've got that connection with someone, so much of the work is done for you already. You know, you're having, you're having a laugh and you are truly just having a laugh. You don't have to force anything. So it makes just the whole acting malarkey a lot easier. Um, it's such an important thing. And she's so just there and she's so generous as an actor, which is quite hard to find. Like there are amazing actors that aren't fully with you when you're in a scene with them. They're amazing, but that, you know, she is there. So, yeah. All right. That brings me to the biggest spoiler question I have of the bunch. It might be a touch of theory at this point, but where do you think Amy's head is at, at the very end of season three? Because she sends Maeve on her way to America with, with such confidence in what she's telling her to do. But do you think that Amy has confidence at this point in herself to be okay back home without Maeve? I think that Amy is on this kind of, this confidence spree where she's like, I'm going to break up with Steve and then I'm going to tell Maeve to go because she needs to do this and it's right. And all of those things are true. She's doing what is right and what's true. But I do think that when she gets home and she goes into a bedroom and she realizes her best friend who means so much to her has gone to America and she is no longer with her boyfriend who she does love, even though it wasn't working out, you know, she loves him as a friend and she loves him as a person. I think that's going to be quite scary. And I wonder how much of this kind of her growing out of this codependency, I wonder how much of that will be able to stick when she's there by herself and she's going, where the hell are Maeve and Steve? Like the only two people that I've really got. So I do wonder where it's such an, because I think she does just get this kind of, I'm just going to act on the truth now. And it's amazing, but sometimes we do that. And then it's so easy for to to do that. And then all of a sudden be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But I hope she just knows that she's going to be okay. I mean, she's made a friend in Maureen and she's got Jean. So I'm kind of like, if season four happens, maybe Ames is hanging out with, you know, the mums. So, yeah. But I will totally be down for a season four that has that as a thread. <laughs> I would love it. I would absolutely love it. Scenes with those two, that was just so fun and amazing. All right, I got one more minute with you. We're going to try to burn through some cast superlatives really quick. All right, so let's start with most changed. Who is the most changed cast member of Sex Education from season one to now? Oh my God, who's the most changed? Who is the most changed? I mean, can I say all of us? I think all of us are just, we've grown up so much. And it it has been amazing to see that happen. Like, it wasn't that long ago that, 
that season one was. I mean, it was, you know, but we've all just really, I mean, it's 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 very easy to notice with the younger ones. So like with Chenille and because he was a baby when we started sex education and now he's like, um, like he's a grown man. And it's so weird. Like every time I see him, I'm like, wait, who are you? You know, hello, when did you grow up? So I think it's it's very obvious with the really young ones because there are kind of like the older end and then there are the younger end. And I think the, uh, the younger ones, it's all like, it's quite moving. I'm like, wow. All right, I'll give you one more here. Who is the most likely to get left behind on a field trip? Who is the most likely to get left behind? I would say that Jojo who plays Kyle. I would say that he's he's not like his character. He's a lot more sensible and he's a lot more kind of with it. But I do, I can just imagine Jojo being left. Or I also, to be honest, me or Shooty, or both of us, because we'd start talking and then we'd just be off for hours and then all of a sudden we wouldn't know, or I'd be faffing about doing something. I could very easily get left behind, to be honest. I'm such a faffer. I have so many more questions. That, like I only got through such a small fraction here. You are oh. such a pleasure to talk with and huge congratulations on this show and everything you've accomplished because I've seen some of your other work and I hope everybody, we didn't have time to talk about it all, but I hope everybody out there goes on, on IMDb and looks at some of uh, Amy's stage work because you are exceptional and I've got high hopes we're going to talk again in the future. Oh my God, thank you so much. I really want to talk again. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.